This episode of Gwinnett History Back in the Day is brought to you by Gwinnett Magazine's Guide to Gwinnett. This is Gwinnett History Back in the Day, and I'm your host, Nate McGill. Uh, Today we're wrapping up our series on Button Gwinnett. We're talking about the third part in our series, Making the Mark. We thank you guys for joining us uh, to hear the podcast. We really appreciate the folks at the Gwinnett Historical Society allowing me to come and visit uh, to hear uh, their point of view on the Gwinnett Duel a few weeks back. That was actually really fun, really cool. Met a lot of really awesome people. Really met the experts of history. I consider myself a lover of local history. Those guys at the Gwinnett Historical Society are the real experts, so everybody should check them out. And uh, now it's time for our third part in the series on Button Gwinnett, Making the Mark. Let's jump right in. Button Gwinnett voted in favor of the Declaration of Independence. You have to remember that signing the Declaration was an act of treason. Forming these government bodies, gaining support, bad-mouthing your mother country, these were acts of rebels who had traveled hundreds of miles to get there. The entire thing was likely to get you killed. And this is what Button and his other Georgia buddies, Hall and George Walton, had signed up for. But whatever his friend Lyman Hall had gotten him into, Button was all for it. Besides, this was also a great opportunity to learn from the colonial leaders that we'd one day call Founding Fathers. Button, like all the others, wanted his name on that document. This meant the start of something, especially since this was the voice of the people. The people wanted to get out from under the rule of a tyrant, and Button wanted to be the one to give them that. So, Button Gwinnett came home, and he helped draft a state constitution. Some say he blueprinted it off of what he'd learned from John Adams. And then he became speaker. And when Archibald Bullock died in office, Gwinnett became the state's chief executive, which was basically like the governor, although it wasn't called that yet. Before he had left for the Continental Congress, Button had hoped that he would be the brigadier general. But he didn't have the military experience that his rival, Lachlan McIntosh, did. And when he got back, he found McIntosh in the position that he truly wanted. Button didn't want to just be in power. He didn't want to just govern well. Those were never Button's core motivations. Button's primary ambition was to be loved. Who doesn't want to be loved? In the world's eyes, Button Gwinnett looked pretty successful. Love him or hate him, a lot of people had to at least think something about him now. How could you not notice the president of Georgia? He had no real trade, his plantation now gone. The only ladder that he could climb now is the one that was in front of him. His search for making it had led somewhere, but I'm not convinced that even Button Gwinnett knew where that was, or what it would lead to. He felt confident. He felt strong. At the same time, he felt jealous. It was lonely at the top. Suddenly, he had just as many haters as he did supporters, especially those military guys. So Button Gwinnett did what he always did. Button looked around to see what the people were cheering for, and he got it in his head to become that. And I think in wanting to be loved and approved of, 
in order to prove everyone wrong again. He had it in his mind now to become what the people wanted more than anything. He was going to become a hero of the revolution. If it wasn't for Lachlan McIntosh, he might have been that already. Button had originally wanted the position that McIntosh had. Leading the fight is where he believed he should be. So when history decided to rearrange his plans and send him to the Continental Congress, he had to adjust his plans and now believe that in his current position, he could wield the power over the military and somehow become the hero? It was a far-fetched plan, but Button's political view was adjusted to support his own agenda. That was the idea that a citizen politician acting as commander-in-chief should be the one in charge of the military activities. McIntosh and most of the military men believed this to be a foolish idea, and they would openly say as much. What's ironic is that today it would seem strange if the president wasn't in charge of the most powerful military on earth. But back then, many people thought that military decisions should be left out of the political bodies. Button also admired McIntosh in the way that you sometimes admire the people you hate. Envy and jealousy are weird second cousins of hate. You see, McIntosh was a real military man. He grew up with it in his blood. But that didn't stop Gwinnett from hating his guts. The military-minded McIntosh brothers had tried to stall Button before, but Button had thrown one in jail and ruined the other completely. It was their own fault. Button Gwinnett had now the power to make misery for his rivals, and he was not afraid to do so. History's vague, but there are plenty of accounts of Gwinnett's purging the government of his military and political rivals. Was it envy or jealousy that had caused such a reaction? If envy is longing for something someone else has without any ill intent toward that person, this wasn't just envy. After all, who wants to be a brigadier general when you are basically commander-in-chief? Is this jealousy, then? Do I fear losing the affection and approval of the people because of these brothers? And by what measure do I rid myself of them? At this time in colonial history, there are no rock stars, no Instagram influencers. There's no GQ man of the year, our television personality to look up to. There was only heroes of the revolution. No one back then said founding father when they talked about Button. His mind was on doing whatever it took to become the hero that George needed. The hero that he felt he needed to be. And as he sat on his Solomon throne, he became jealous of his David, that Lachlan Macintosh. They were on opposite sides of the aisle, as you would say today. But he was gifted, so Button threw for the fences. He had decided either to become the hero he was born to be in his own mind, or ruin Macintosh. Maybe both, if he was successful. He doubled down on his idea that he was going to be Georgia's commander-in-chief. Pushing the point of who was really in charge, Button set a mousetrap for his enemy. The invasion of Florida had already been publicly decreed a bad idea by military commanders, but Button kept insisting that it happen. Perhaps he wanted McIntosh to object publicly, 
Maybe he planned on it. Gwinnett, by now a manipulator extraordinaire, possibly had checkmated any decision made after his own to a handful of carefully crafted outcomes. McIntosh was sure to side with his military buds and openly reject the mission and condemn it as a bad idea. However, Button felt that McIntosh was an honorable man and that if he did fight the battle, he would also do so to the best of his ability. The best case scenario in Button's mind was that McIntosh would win and this would be a success that he could take credit for while pointing out that McIntosh was against it to start out with. Worst case scenario, McIntosh loses the battle, in which case Gwinnett would blame McIntosh and use the loss to destroy his career. He failed on purpose to prove the outcries he made publicly beforehand. Or maybe Button would get lucky and Lachlan would be killed in battle and he wouldn't have to hear his annoying voice again. The debate, however, took an odd turn. McIntosh, seeing through Gwinnett's President Underwood-like political maneuvering, called Gwinnett a scoundrel and a lying rascal. The meaning of those words cut deeper to a man like Button than the words themselves would mean today. A scoundrel was not an endearing term. While made endearing by Harrison Ford in his portrayal of Han Solo, in the 1770s this was not a cute thing to call someone. A scoundrel was someone that shrank back in fear. It meant that you were worthless. It meant that you were a person without any honor or virtue. A scoundrel doesn't deserve your acceptance, approval, love, or admiration. Furthermore, calling someone a lying rascal, well, before the little rascals, this word was not a cute expression of children. A rascal comes from the Middle English word meaning people of the lower class, filled with utter nonsense. So basically, the insult cut to Button's core motivation for approval. To call Button a low-class liar who never had any honor or virtue was basically to say that he didn't deserve his seat at the table. So much of our time talking about Button Gwinnett has been about Button's need for approval. We've learned how much his self-worth was tied to his approval. To publicly stand up and insult Button was more than throwing shade in a negative tweet about someone. This was more than just bad PR. This was more than a guy on Fox News or MSNBC calling an elected official a moron. Disrespect wasn't so easily forgiven back in the day. These were fighting words. And when I say fighting words, what I mean is these were gun fighting words. With guns. Guns that fired a musket ball that was smooth bore that would rip through flesh and break through bone by the explosion of a black powder pop that sounds as loud as the white smoke fills the moment of its firing. Button forgot that he'd even had a plan for Lachlan McIntosh when he heard the insult. And believe it or not, there were actual rules for officially ending the life of your opponent with a gentleman's duel. And the thing about duels is that no one thinks they're going to be the loser. The two men squared up. Early morning, the May of 1777. 
I suspect about the time that the heat and humidity of a savanna sunrise would begin to breathe in the willows. Faces across the field, and some feelings in the air. Two men about to do business. The way that business sometimes ended back then. Each man with a second to witness and the cock of a pistol. Pace, 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 and turn. Somehow, some way, both a brigadier general and a founding father managed to shoot each other in the leg. Button shot Macintosh in the leg and it went clean through. But Macintosh had shot Button and broken his thigh. Macintosh had the gall to ask Button if another shot was required, but Button was in pain. And so the duel was over. The smoke of the morning and the smell of the gunpowder went unnoticed as two enemies shook hands like gentlemen and left the scene with their two witnesses. What have I done? What have I done? Regret. Envy. Flashbacks of each decision. The moments leading up to the duel. Rethinking each moment, each decision. What could he have done differently? What about his wife? Perhaps she was the only right decision he had ever made. His career. In a moment, just one moment, he had permanently failed. And death is a failure you don't outlive. Death is a teacher for others, but not ourselves. And in one moment, Button had cared more about the opinion of others and his own successes than he had valued his own life. Honor, was it worth it? That debate rages on today. I used to think that maybe the approval Button clearly sought his whole life was about his ambition and drive for success. But maybe the approval Gwinnett sought wasn't that of the people after all. Maybe the approval he needed the most was from himself. As he lay feverish in his bed, he thought about the days in England as a boy. He remembered how he had felt in those days. He remembered his school days. The wind against his face by the rocks on the shore. The gray skies. Learning to write by the quill. Then his mind turned. He thought about his name being next to the other names on that document he had signed. He was proud of that day, that contribution. And then his mind wandered to some of those names. John Hancock, John Adams, Samuel Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. Button thought they were great men. But Button didn't feel like a great man himself. He never felt like one of those people. He felt alone in a room full of others. He loved to talk and bring people together. He lived for that attention. This time, this failure would not be like the store or the plantation, or even his short-lived career as a merchant. He couldn't come back from this one. His ambitions led him to cross a line that he just couldn't come back from. His decisions, they wrote guilt and shame on his feverish heart. Truth is, when he was called a scoundrel and a lying rascal, Button had known it was true. 
A man doesn't stand in a field with a gun pointed at someone who is on your team in a time of war just because you think that person has insulted you. You do that when you're defending a hidden truth about yourself. Some men repent, and some won't. And that is the truth of all things. He wouldn't die a hero. He wouldn't even get a grave that people can find. He wouldn't get any respect. As a matter of fact, one historian wrote in 1856 about Gwinnett's death. Thus fell one of the patriots of the revolution. And though entitled to the gratitude of his country for services which he rendered her, her citizens will ever lament that he fell a victim to false ambition and a false sense of honor. But you know, I get Button Gwinnett. Some days I am him. Most days I try not to be. On this earth, there are no perfect fathers. There are also no perfect founding fathers. But Button Gwinnett is ours. He is our county's founding father. He may not have ever received what he wanted the most in his lifetime, but I think that he would be proud of the county named after him today. They say that everyone dies twice. The first death is the day when your life ends. The second is the last time someone mentions your name. If that's true, then Button Gwinnett may just live forever. This has been Gwinnett History, back in the day. Join us next time for What Lies Beneath. We'll be talking about what lies beneath Lake Lanier and hearing some of her stories. This podcast is brought to you by Gwinnett Magazine's Guide to Gwinnett. Do you want to know where to go, what to do, when it starts, who to ask, what to buy, or how to help in Gwinnett County, Georgia? Well, join the thousands of other Gwinnettians who have already discovered the Guide to Gwinnett. Visit GuideToGwinnett.com and get a free listing for your business. Check out all the marketing platforms for your business from Gwinnett Magazine, Gwinnett's definitive publisher of magazines, newsletters, and podcasts for over 20 years and counting. This episode of Back in the Day was written by me, Nate McGill, with research assistance from Elijah Stansel and engineering assistance from Wade Greer and Ron Baker. To get future episodes of this podcast, Gwinnett History Back in the Day, don't forget to hit subscribe.